Many, many years ago, my friend invited me over to the house and said, you got to see this. You got to see this. You got to know my friend and I have been friends since we were kids, but by this time we were in college. But he said, you got to come over and you got to check this out. What is it? And he says, no, I can't explain it to you. You got to see this. So I went over to his house and he turned on the TV and he said, you got to watch this. And uh, he turned on the TV, something that he had recorded, uh, and it was called the Ultimate Fighting Championship. Can I have that first slide? Everybody ever heard of that? No? Never? Some of you may have. Ultimate Fighting Championship. Well, it originated many, many years ago with this idea, this contest, this, this uh, challenge issued between um, a man from Brazil and his family uh, who uh, studied a type of martial arts called jiu-jitsu. And it was meant to be like a challenge, a desafio in Spanish we say, a challenge that was issued between this man and his uh, family and anyone in the world. They said, we'll take on anybody. And so, after some promotion and, and, and such, there was a fight schedule, the competition, if you will, between uh, these different kinds of uh, um, fighters. And uh, the idea was, can a wrestler defeat a boxer? Something like that. Can kung fu beat, um, you know, kickboxing? Something like that. And um, eventually, it boiled down to a handful of men in a cage uh, fighting. Can I have the next picture, please? This is a, a photo from, one, from that early contest. So, you have a choice here. Who would you pick? The burly man in the tiny trunks? <laughs> or the rather gaunt-looking uh, uh, gentleman wearing the white, uh, it's called a gi, I think, right? Gi? Yeah. Who would you pick? Huh? The idea is this big burly man, uh, 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 who would win between somebody of this size and that size? What discipline, what sport in this ultimate fighting championship, who would win? Who would you pick? A boxer or uh, and look, an actual uh, Floyd Mayweather, Mike Tyson boxer or uh, a, a, a kung fu artist? Or would you pick a wrestler versus a kickboxer? Who would win this fight? Now, some of you guys are like, what? You know. Others, you know exactly what's going to happen here. Who's going to win? The little guy. The little guy is going to win. In fact, he wins in the most unusual way at the time. At the time. Um, and he would go on to challenge not only this guy, but even bigger guys. Check this one out. That's uh, uh, Roy Grayson fighting a sumo wrestler. Sumo wrestler versus the little guy. Who wins that match? The little guy. Do you know why? Because he's a grappler. He's a wrestler of a certain kind. And they do these things. These, uh, this gentleman here and his family were actually very instrumental in introducing this idea of mixed martial arts to the rest of the world. By now, you can take that off the screen because I can't, I can't really watch that. Um, by now, UFC, Ultimate Fighting Championship, is a worldwide organization, and they make lots and lots of money. Some of y'all have spent money in their direction uh, watching their pay-per-view fights. They have a ton of them all over the place. And not only that, but you will see this sport, mixed martial arts, now uh, it's pervasive here. We have gyms here in, um, 
in Bonita and Chula Vista where people can get trained in the mixed martial arts. But that gentleman right there, the, the tiny man in that photo, was instrumental in bringing that idea. And here's what's un unusual about his fighting technique. You can see he's taken on much larger opponents. But he didn't fight with them the way you think. While the bigger guys would run and would try to, like, punch and hit, this man would end up on the floor on his back. And when I first, my friend showed it to me, I was like, what is happening? He would end up on the floor on his back, and when the much larger man would come to grab him, he would just hug him. It's the strangest thing. That's the only way I can describe it. So the much larger man on top of him, and this little guy with all elbows and knees would just hug him and then wrestle, grapple, and he wouldn't let him go. It's the strangest thing. Mixed martial arts, um, they include uh, boxing, kickboxing, and that stuff. But where the real winners come from are the ones who know how to wrestle. And they do these things called submissions, where you think you've got them, but before you know it, your arms bend a certain way that it's not supposed to bend, or your leg is going somewhere it's not supposed to go, and then you, uh, you do this thing called tap out. You say, please, please, let me go. Mercy, mercy. Just like if you had an older brother, you probably understand what this is like. If you ever try to take on an older brother and, and they got you in a headlock or something, and then you're like, oh, okay, let me go, and you tap. That's exactly how this sport actually works, um, unless you get knocked out. But this man in, in, in that white gi sort of like brought this to the masses, this idea that it didn't matter how big you were or how tough the other opponents were, you could maneuver your way into submitting them if you knew how to grapple or how to wrestle. It turns out that if you're a good wrestler, and I'm not talking about the Greco-Roman wrestling where you, or, or the WrestleMania kind where you go, ah, and you lock the hands and then you throw each other against the ropes and you hit people with chairs. That's fun, though. I grew up watching that. Um, I, I, this is real wrestling where people can get hurt, but it turns out that if you're a good wrestler, you can overcome. So you know how he won in that fight, by the way? Anybody? The, the gigantic sumo wrestler. There's a picture. I, I didn't put it on. Where the sumo wrestler is lunging, and the man in the small white trunks goes low, and he just takes his feet from under him, and then grabs him, and he gets his arm and puts it in an arm bar, and giant man has to tap out. <laughs> it's true. You can look it up. Don't watch it on YouTube, though, because it's bad. It's violent, and it's bad. The idea here is, though, that if you're a good wrestler, you can maneuver your way almost out of Every contest. And what's fascinating, if you watch that, the man wants to get on the floor as quickly as possible. He doesn't want to stand up and fight. He wants to be wrestled to the ground because that's where he has his advantage. When he is pinned to the ground, that's actually where he's at an advantage. It was the weirdest thing to watch. I couldn't stomach it. I'm not really a big UFC fan, but lots of people are. So we're going to talk about wrestling and how to maneuver. Open your Bibles, please. We're going to Genesis chapter 32. We're talking ultimate fighting championship. On the undercard here in Genesis chapter 2, I mean 32, we have the ultimate fighting championship between one of the world's greatest wrestlers. His name is Jacob. In fact, if you translate his name, it actually means heel grabber or a primitive form of wrestler. 
We learned because we were here last week. We talked about how Jacob came into the world. He was uh, one of two boys, born twins, born at the same time. Um, and, and in his mother's womb, while the, the, the two boys were growing, the Bible describes in Genesis that they were already wrestling in the tummy. In fact, they were, yeah, that's right. They were wrestling in the tummy. In fact, she was so concerned about all the commotion going on that she prays to God and says, God, what is happening inside of me? You remember the story? What is happening? And God said, there are two nations in your, inside of you. And, and there would be two peoples born from there. And God said, and the older will serve the younger. And when the babies were born, the first one came out, you remember Esau, the hairy one? He came out first. So he was the firstborn, had all the rights and privileges. But the Bible says that as he came out, Jacob was holding on to his heel, you know, wrestling, trying to get him back in. Um, but Jacob came out number two. And as number two, he found himself from birth at a position of disadvantage. As the secondborn son, he would have no fame, no inheritance, no kind of presence in the community like the firstborn son. To make matters worse, we discussed at length last week how Esau was not only firstborn, but he was a man's man, favored by his father, his dad's favorite. Why? Because he was an outdoorsy type. Um, he had a lot of hair. And uh, he would go hunting and catch wild game, and his father had developed a taste for that. While Esau, I mean, while Jacob, on the other hand, stayed home with mom and did home-type things, Knitting, crocheting, you know, that kind of stuff, scrapbooking. And, uh, and so these two boys were very, very different. But what we learned as we studied last week in Genesis, that Jacob, although he had been born at a disadvantage, like the man on the ground, learned how to grapple his way around life's difficulties. He learned how to maneuver. He learned how to not, he could be disadvantaged, but he would not get pinned completely. And he didn't tap out. In fact, the Bible tells us that Jacob figured out how to get the birthright away from his brother. Remember, we studied that last week with a bowl of beans. And then eventually he figured out how to get his father's blessing by using lamb, uh, goat skin and his mom's cooking to trick his father. So he learned how to lie, how to cheat, how to maneuver. He learned how to grapple. He learned how to wrestle. And the rest of his life, these things that he learned are the things that he would use to get by. If you read the rest of the story, I'm going to summarize quickly so we don't have much time. You will learn, it's a fascinating story, that Jacob, <clears throat> once he had stolen his brother's birthright and his brother's blessing, now had a, had a mark on his back. His brother was so furious he was going to kill him. And because he was an outdoorsy type, you knew he had the weapons. So Jacob and his mom decided that the best thing for him to do was to run away, which is what we read last week at the end of our service. And Jacob is running for his life. All the things that he had tried to gain for himself, the birthright, the blessing, he could not take. He was running for his life. And on his run, he stopped at a place. He, he fell asleep. And there while he was sleeping, he had a vision from God. And God told him in that vision, wherever you go, I will watch over you. And I will be with you. It's interesting because God had made sort of that same promise to his, great, um, to his grandfather, Abraham, and to his father, Isaac. And he was going to be the recipient of that blessing. In their household, they may have thought Esau was the one, but God had said specifically to his mother, the older will serve the younger. So Jacob had known from early on that God had intended to bless him. 
but he couldn't wait for the blessing. He couldn't be patient enough. So he decided to take matters into his hand. He decided to use his wrestling, his grappling techniques and get an advantage, even from a position of disadvantage. But it didn't work out. So there he is on the run, and God comes to him and says, I will still bless you. Wherever you go, I will watch over you. Jacob continues. You remember the story? As he made it over to his, mother, uh, to his mother's homeland, he, he falls in love with a young lady. Meets her. I mean, that was his father's wish. His father said, don't marry anybody from around here. Go back to where we're from. Find a good wife. He fa- falls in love with a young lady named Rachel. And then he comes and asks for her hand in marriage. And the girl's father, who was his uncle, said, sure, no problem. But how will you, what, what's the dowry? How, how will you gain her? You know, what, what are we going to exchange her? And he had nothing, right? He had to just run away. He had nothing. So they made a deal. He said, you work for me seven years, then you can marry my daughter. So he did. And you remember the story? On the wedding night, Jacob goes into the tent, finds a young lady there. It must have been really dark. And uh, the next day when he wakes up, he turns over, and, and it's not Rachel. It's Leah, the older, less pretty sister. And uh, he's upset, and he goes to see his father-in-law and says, what have you done to me? And his father-in-law says, well, you should have looked. You should have looked before you went in there. And he said, no, 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 you promised me Rachel. And he said, oh, you can have her too, but you got to work an extra seven years. You remember the story? It's fascinating. You can read it for yourself. This is Genesis 20, uh, 28, 29, and 30. And, and so what happens is what we find in the overarching story of Jacob is that this guy who learned how to maneuver and how to trick other people is getting a little bit of his own medicine. Have you ever, has that ever happened to you? Have you wished that would happen to somebody else in your life who's constantly, oh, I see people looking. I see people looking. That was quick. There are people in your life who like to not play by the rules. Do you know what I'm talking about? That's Jacob, right? He's getting around Maybe you have somebody like that in your life. Maybe one of your kids is like that. They're a maneuver. They're a grappler. I got one. You laugh because you know who it is. And sometimes those that play by the rules are really offended by that. And they say, man, someday they're going to get it, right? They're always cheating. They're always getting around. They never have to do what everyone else does. But someday it's going to catch up to them. Well, that's what's happening to Jacob in this moment. His father-in-law tricks him, and now he ends up working 14 years to marry Rachel, the girl that he loves. And on top of that, he still has to keep Leah. He can't give her back, according to his father's rule. Too bad. <laughs> you know, no refunds, no returns. So what we learn in this story is a, a, a truth that applies to us. So let me be clear. You will reap what you sow. It's a biblical truth. It's a biblical mandate. Jesus said it. The Bible says it. God says it. You will reap what you sow. There are consequences from the choices that we make. Sometimes those consequences are borne by ourselves, sometimes by those that come after us. The Bible says in Exodus, the sins of the father are visited to the third and fourth generation of their sons. Jacob is living that out now. Surely he escaped his brother, got away from there. But wherever he went, he was going to find trouble because that's how he was approaching life. He was wrestling. He was grappling. So the Bible tells us 
that Jacob continues to maneuver. He's got these two wives, and then they're fighting amongst each other. You know the story, because one can have kids, the other one cannot. And then before long, there are other women introduced. It's, it's quite the soap opera in here in, in, in Genesis. Fascinating reading for a Sabbath afternoon if you were into that sort of thing. Um, and, and, and there's a lot of turmoil in his, in his family. There's a lot of fighting. If you read the story, there's some not nice things happening in their family, but that's what he's reaping. Do you understand? I want to be clear with you. If you're sowing a life of wrestling and grappling, get around, that's what you're going to reap. Yes, you might get around this circumstance, but what you're doing is you're laying down the groundwork for your family to learn how to cheat. How to get around stuff. And there will be consequences for that. Jacob is living that out. In spite of that, here's what's fascinating. In spite of that, God seems to bless him, which doesn't make any sense. Because for us, we're like, why would God bless that person who's such a cheater and a liar and a grappler and a wrestler, the one who doesn't follow the rules? Why would God bless him? The interesting thing there, though, is if he doesn't bless him, who would God bless? Because there's nobody honest in the story. Just like there isn't anyone worthy of God's blessing in our story. So while on the one hand, those of us who you know, feel forced to play by the rules might be upset with Jacob, we also got to give God praise that he blesses the Jacobs because we are all Jacobs in some way, form, or another. Right? We've learned to wrestle. We've learned to get around stuff. Maybe we can keep these rules, but not those rules. The Bible's very clear. There is no one who is worthy of God's blessing. Not one. Not a one. And certainly it isn't me. So when I read the story of Jacob, uh, I'm, I'm struck by this idea that God would still want to bless somebody who is so clearly messed up. But thank God for that. Because that means that God might, might want to bless me too. And Jacob learns the hard way that you reap what you sow. And in, in spite of that, God blesses him. And what we read in the rest of the story is that even once he marries and got the two wives and the kids, he's still having a hard time progressing in life. And he comes to his father-in-law and he says, look, I'm never going to get ahead here because I'm constantly working for you and you are always cheating me. He said that, which is hilarious coming from Jacob. But he says, you're always cheating me. And his father-in-law says, okay, fine, we'll settle the score. How do you want to do this? And Jacob says, okay, look, here's what we'll do. I will take some of your flocks and go my way. Okay? But I, I want to read this to you because it's fascinating to me. It's, it's found in um, uh, chapter 20. Oh, I'm sorry, let me find it here. Yeah, uh, chapter 30. Uh, Jacob says to his father-in-law, okay, here's what we do. Here's how we're going to settle the score. We've been living together. Everything's sort of mixed up, but I need to go my way. I need to have something for my family. And his father-in-law said, okay, fine. You've been working me for a while. How can we square this up? What shall I give you? Verse 31, chapter 30. And Jacob says, don't give me anything, but do this one thing for me. I'm going to continue to take care of your flocks. I'm going to continue watching over you. I'm going to continue to work for you. But let me go through your flocks today. And remove every speckled or spotted sheep, every dark-colored lamb, every spotted and speckled goat. He says, I'll continue to work for you, but as payment, let me go through the place and just pick out the ugly ones. The speckled ones, the spotted ones, the dark ones. So let me, let me get the unwanted ones, and that'll be my payment. And his father-in-law was like, all I got to pay you is what I don't want? Fantastic. 
Sweet, take it. And, 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 and this is what Jacob says. They will be my wages, and my honesty will testify me in the future, for me in the future. Whenever you check on the wages you have paid me, you will say, that man was honest with me. It's, it's really interesting coming from him because obviously we know the story. His father-in-law may not know what he did back home. But Jacob is like, my honesty will testify on my behalf. And his father-in-law says, okay, take the ugly ones. Deal. They shake on it. And what you read there, there in the rest of chapter 30 is that Jacob then finds a way to selectively breed the, the spotted and speckled ones with the strongest ones in the flock. And so every speckled, spotted one comes out healthy, and he breeds the weak ones uh, with the ones that don't belong to him. So over time, all his flocks increase in number and size, while Laban's flocks end up being sickly and small. <laughs> because his honesty will testify about him, Right? One day, Jacob decides, okay, my father-in-law is eventually going to catch up to me, so let's get out of here. And in the middle of the night, he takes his wives and his kids and his stuff, and they, and they run. They run away because that's how he operates. He grapples. He finds a way to get around stuff. He, he finds a way to get things done in his mind, but he's sowing a life of dishonesty, which if you read the rest of the story, will come back to haunt him time and time again. And still, in spite of all that, God still wants to bless him, which is beyond our ability to comprehend. He decides to run, and he decides, we're going to run back home to my father's home. We can't stay here with my uncle. He's going to cheat me for the rest of my life, or I'm going to cheat him for the rest of his life. It's more actually. But he said, we're going to go back home. And they start heading back with his wives, kids, and all their possessions. And as they're heading back home, word comes from up the road that his brother is on his way. You remember his brother? The one who had promised to kill him and the reason he ran away in the first place many, many years ago? The story says, your brother's coming. He's got 400 men coming to meet you. And Jacob is now afraid. He can't go back to Laban. He just ran away from there. He's trying to go back home. He's hoping that time has healed all wounds, that maybe his brother has forgotten. Would you forget? Would you forget if your brother had swindled you out of your birthright? Would you forget? Okay, good. You're being honest. Never. Took my Legos. That's it. He's done. So Jacob's afraid. The Bible tells us <clears throat> in chapter 31 that um, Jacob is afraid as he's running away from, from Laban. Now he's meeting another threat to his life, to his family, and it's in his brother. In chapter 32, the Bible tells us that as he, as, as, as he heard his brother was coming along, he said, okay, another problem I've got to solve. What do I do? And this is what he came up with, chapter 32. You can read it for yourself. He says, here's what we'll do. We'll just split the camp. Half this way and half this way. He can't kill us all, right? That's how you run away, right? You guys go this way. You guys go that way. They'll pick one. But if he kills one, one will survive. So he splits the camp and says, you guys go this way. You guys go that way. But then he has another idea because he's a grappler. That's what he does. He's in a position of disadvantage, but he's going to find a way. So here's what he decides to do. He says, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to send small envoys of people and gifts ahead of me, one after another. And he gives them instructions. When you meet him, bow down before Esau and say, this is a gift for you from your servant Jacob. And that's what they do. 
his, his, some of his servants take the flock and they run on ahead so that when Esau meets them, they're like, this is for you. And Esau says, what's this? And they're like, this is for you from Jacob, one after another. And if you read, he, he literally, Jacob tells us what he's doing. He says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to butter him up, essentially. I'm paraphrasing. But I'm going to butter him up, soften his heart. Maybe with these gifts, I'll find some favor in his eyes. Have you ever tried that? I know you have. Try to butter somebody up with the gift or some small gesture when you know that you were wrong. Rather than to apologize or face with truth and honesty, he is constantly trying to get away with stuff. So the Bible tells us that he, this is his trick. This is what he does. And then eventually there's nothing left to send. And now it's just time to meet Esau. Time to pay the piper, as they say. And the Bible tells us here in chapter 32, I'll read it now with you, verse 22. Uh, Jacob's gifts went on ahead of him, but he himself spent the night in the camp. Verse 22, and that night Jacob got up, took his two wives, his two maidservants, and his 11 sons, because the youngest hadn't been born yet, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. And after he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all of his possessions, so Jacob was left alone. He's been on the run now for years. His brother's going to finally catch up to him. He's tried everything. God continues to bless him somehow, but now his luck has run out. And he finally sends his people over across the, the, this little river as a way of protecting them, and he's left by himself. And there that night, the Bible says that somebody sneaks up on him, and they wrestle. It's a fantastic story. They began to wrestle. I was telling first service, I hate wrestling because people grab your ears and I get all hot and bothered and I don't like it. Some people like to wrestle. I don't like to wrestle. Let's talk about it, you know. Let's work it out. <laughs> I don't like to wrestle. It's not my favorite thing. Your hair gets all messed up. Not my thing. But Jacob is a wrestler. That's his specialty. That's his skill. The Bible doesn't go into too much detail, but here's what we know. Jacob is finally alone at the end of the road. On the other side of this river, somehow he is going to finally get his comeuppance. He's going to meet his brother, and it's all finally going to come crashing down. He can't go back to Laban. In front of him is Esau. This is it. This is the end of the road. In fact, he's trying to save what he can. He's been grappling and wrestling and cheating and maneuvering all his life. And there, that night, as he's finally at the end... Somebody sneaks up on him, and he wrestles because that's what he does. He's a wrestler. Somebody sneaks up on him. The Bible doesn't describe why or the intent, but the Bible says that they wrestled. Somebody comes up to him, and a man wrestles with him until daybreak. I don't like wrestling at all. I can't imagine doing it for hours. It's got to be the most uncomfortable thing. I was telling for service, I've watched wrestling matches, real high school. Any high school wrestlers in here? Okay. I could tell if you got your ears all messed up. Um, but I've gone to watch sometimes when I have somebody in my youth group, and it's just frustrating. They're just two guys hugging each other and grunting, and it's so frustrating. Nothing ever really happens. They're pulling like this, and I, don't, I can't imagine it doing for hours. But the Bible says here that they wrestled all night until daybreak. And then the man says, 
Um, when, well, well, let me read this, verse 25. And when the man saw that he could not overpower him, which is fascinating, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip, and his hip was rinsed and he wrestled with, as he wrestled with the man. So whoever this person was is wrestling with Jacob, and, and, and no one's winning because no one ever wins at wrestling. I think I made that clear. And, and they're wrestling, and so he, won't, he can't overpower him, so he touches him with a special kind of power in his hip. So now Jacob has got a bad hip, and they still continue to wrestle. Jacob will not let go. He's a wrestler. That's how he does things. Even though, by now, it's clear that all his wrestling has never really got him what he really wanted. Are you a wrestler? Are you a grappler? Do you like to get by and find a way? It seems to work out, but in the end, you know, there's no winner. You're just wrestling. Are you like Jacob? Not willing to wait for God to come through on his promises? You're always taking matters into your hands. Are you like Jacob? He's wrestling with God. Can you imagine that? Theologians don't really agree what's happening here. I tend to think God was coming to him to reassure him. You know why I think that? Because that's what God has always done. Remember that? In the womb, when Jacob was running for his life, God comes and says, I will be with you. I will watch you. God is true. God is faithful. I think he's coming that night. It's just me. You can find fault with it. I don't care. God is coming that night to say to him, I will be with you. But Jacob doesn't wait for the words. He starts to wrestle. That's what he does. And I found this interesting because I think that it identifies with me and maybe with some of you. It's like God wants to bless us, but all we do is wrestle with him, struggle with him, and fight with him. It's like God has made a promise over our lives, but we are unwilling to wait for it to come to pass. So we want to take matters into our own hands, and we want to make things happen, even though time and time again we keep reaping what we sow, and we just refuse to learn. At the end of his rope, Jacob wrestles with God. Ultimate fighting championship. The world's sneakiest wrestler, Jacob, and God. Who's going to win that battle? But he tries anyway. In a marvelous statement of grace, God doesn't just crush him. He allows Jacob to wrestle all night. And then listen to this. Then the man said, verse 26, let me go for it is day daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Something is happening that night when he finally is at the end of his road. Jacob is finally coming to terms with this idea that he needs to change, that he can't be a grappler forever, that he can't keep trying to do it his way forever, that at some point, He's got to trust God. See, as they're wrestling and fighting that night, he finally realizes, that's not my brother. I'm not fighting. He's one of his mercenaries. He begins to understand that he's actually struggling with God. And now rather than wrestling for defeat, Jacob begins to wrestle for blessing. And he says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. I will not let you go unless you bless me. There's a reason why I wanted to tell you the story, and especially today as I speak to some of my graduates. 
I know you're out there somewhere. This is what I know about life, especially after you leave high school. It just gets more complicated, right? Right? When you leave home, if you're a graduate, if you're a college student, you'll understand. When you leave home, the simplicity of life, where it was easier to know good versus evil, kind of gets super hazy. Everything goes gray. You meet people along the way who propose things to you that completely blow up everything that you used to believe. And life gets really, really messy and hard to understand. And it is very few who survive the journey. I'm going to be honest with you, church. For years and years and years, we have graduated students here. But they are not here anymore. What's worse, they're not in church. They don't love God. Somehow when they left, somehow when they went through that season and they began to wrestle with God and they began to deal with outside influences, they did not make the journey. And I have a heavy heart for these young students who are now getting ready to set off and for those that are currently in that place because I know it's difficult. You know how difficult it is, some of you, especially those of us who have wandered far, far from home, like Jacob, grappling and wrestling, trying to make our way. And God is trying to bless Jacob just like he wants to bless you and especially our college students. So my request from you, if you're a college student out there, is if you're wrestling with God, if you're struggling with what God has spoken over your life, if you're struggling with how to make sense of morality in this culture, what is right and wrong, if you've been wrestling, getting your way around stuff, if you have been having trouble finding solid footing, then hear these words from God. I will be with you. Wherever you go, I will bless you. Jacob says, I won't let you go unless you bless me. If you're struggling, if you're a college student, or you're on your way, you don't know what decisions you're going to make, you don't know what the next stop is for you, just hang on to God. Don't wrestle to defeat him. Just grab onto him and don't let him go unless he blesses you. Because the truth is God wants to bless you. God wanted to bless Jacob in the womb throughout his life. And you know the truth. God did bless him. You and I are evidence of that blessing. The only reason we're here is because God was true to Jacob. And he did make a nation out of his children. And we represent that nation. Any blessing that we have received is because God was truthful to Jacob. And so what I want us to know and understand is that what God designed for him, he designed for us. He wants to bless you wants to bless our kids, our teenagers, our high school students, our college students. He wants to bless us all, but we've got to stop wrestling to get our way. We've got to stop trying to maneuver. We've got to trust God, and He will come through every single time. It may not be the way you want or the way you expect, but He will come through for us. So stop fighting already. Stop fighting. Just hold on to God. Don't fight. He will bless you. That's all he ever wanted to do. Trust him. Be patient. He will give you purpose. 
He will give you patience to wait, and He will deliver you.